You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. So I'm dragging today. I don't know if you could see that. Uh, yes, you, you're not hiding it very well. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm a mess. You are. You had yourself, you had yourself a fun weekend, though, right? It, it seems like such a good idea when you're planning a trip to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. And, like, your buddy is saying, oh, we're going to get into this distillery here, and then we're going to go to this one over here. And he's, like, booked, like, four of them a day. And you're like, oh, well, you know, isn't the first one here starting at 930 in the morning? Is it out that a little early? And everybody's like, oh, it's a drinking trip. Of course we're going to start early. This is going to be great. And you're in your mid-40s, and I'm feeling it. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, yesterday, when we started our last things, I had the shivers. As I got going at the first tasting, I was like, I can't. My body was like, what are you doing? Like, what what is wrong with you? How much bourbon are you going to drink? Are we going to die here? Like, that's kind of how it felt. Bardstown Distilling Company was incredible. Their campus is amazing. Uh, It's like going to the Google of of bourbons. And they've only been around for like about 10 years. Don't do the regular tour. Like, the regular tour will walk by us and look sad. Because we were on like one of the private tours, which is only like 30 bucks. I mean, it was it really was worth it. I don't know what you're paying for the regular tour. Ten bucks? Like, you know, man up and get, get, get in the good one. Because the good one brought us into where all the barrels were, and we were taking straight draws off of barrels. So everything everything was like, you know, an ounce and a half of like off of like all these different barrels and got to like tour the facility. And every time our little group would see the regular tour go by, they all looked very sad looking at us. So get, get the, <laughs> they were like, when do we get a drink? And it's like, oh, you, you, you cheaped <laughs> out. Right? <laughs> so... You, but, you get a drink when you go back in and uh, buy the buy the bottles. Yeah, and buy it when you go walking in. So, I mean, that one was really good. Um, we found a place called Whiskey Thief, which was insane. And it was random because one of the guys screwed up when he was planning everything out with the geography. And he thought we could make four roses and get to Jim Beam. And they're so far away from each other. Like, we had to be at, at Jim Beam in, like, 20 minutes. And they were, like, a 50-minute ride. And we're like, we're not going to make this one. So then we were just driving along and we saw a sign for Whiskey Thief. And we're like, oh, let's just see if they'll let us walk in. Or maybe they got a bar. Or we'll get a drink before we get to the next thing. And we walked in and they take walk-ins and they only sell when you're on their farm. They have no distribution. And it was, it was like the coolest thing. Secret whiskey. I love it. It was secret whiskey is what it was. And secret it was, whiskey. <laughs> it was good stuff. So, I mean, like, those are my two big recommendations. I did go into Michter's and I did go stop over at Rabbit Hole. I had been there before. I've always liked those two. But, I mean, like, those are my two big recommendations that were new on this trip. If you ever get into bourbons and you want to go down to the, to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, go do that. I would also say um, don't do it for four straight days, as my body can attest to. My children looked at me like, Look at poor dad. He's going to die when I walked in the door yesterday. Uh, see, <laughs> I, I, at least I, I will say this. You're, you're here. Yeah. Okay. You are upright. You are functional. 
A lot of fun, though. And if you ever go down there or if you ever want any uh, like suggestions, tips, you want to reach out, hit me up on social media. Uh, use the contact form over at uh, SocksInTheBasement.com. Uh, leave me a message. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. I'm happy to tell you. I'm happy to give you my recommendations. I'm happy to tell you which ones I wouldn't go to. Like last year, I didn't like Angel's Envy. I thought that they were kind of pretentious and they didn't give you very much for their tour. And this year, Heaven Hill was like a huge disappointment. So like, I'll tell you the good ones and the bad ones. Why waste your time? So okay. the, the ones with a religious theme to them seem to be a little bit on the uh, don't go there, right? Is that what <laughs> I'm hearing? So like weird. if it's, if it's bourbon that. and religion mixed, don't do it. <laughs> no, but it's kind of funny because I didn't even realize that. But those were the two. Those were the two that were like, I don't know, in my opinion, we, over the last two years doing it, they were the worst. And there's so many different options down there. You you, you just want to avoid the ones that are bad because you're not going to get to every one of them. There's so many of them down there. And that's the problem. My buddy's like trying to get them all. And so because I was trying to get them all, I didn't see any White Sox stuff all weekend long. So I need you to catch me up. This episode of Sox in the Basement is brought to you by Cork and Carry at the Park, a tradition in the shadow of the ballpark. Uh, get their pregame, get their postgame, uh, watch it in-game over at 33rd in Princeton. The official home of Sox in the Basement is Cork and Carry at the Park. Two-for-one burgers when you dine in on Mondays on non-Sox home games, and that is an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites and uh, i cannot wait for parade day which i know is coming up soon i know the south side irish parade is announcing later on this week they're doing their presentation of all their grand marshals so parade season is opening up in near the beverly location we were out at that the last couple years at cork and carry beverly at 10614 southwestern avenue learn more at corkandcarry.com okay so what did i miss because i i know i mean i have an inkling something happened with benetti I see he's coming back and I kept seeing off season grades. So but what would it take me through what I, and I, and there was a giant balloon float floating over the country, which I only heard about at the end. So it which sounds has like really nothing to do with the white Sox. <laughs> I know. Um, and if it did, <laughs> they would basically not have offered it a contract and it would have gone to the twins. So no, th th you didn't. That's the thing is, is perfect time of the year to go on the bourbon trail and drink yourself stupid. If you're a white Sox fan, because you didn't miss much, right? There was the, there was the the Franklin German trade, where he he's a guy who got DFA'd by the Red Sox. It's a nothing for nothing. So, it's a nothing for nothing. Yeah, but a, you know what? He it's a nothing for nothing trade. If, if you th if you're identifying guys right now that you think you could turn into bullpen arms, I'm fine with it because you know what? Bullpen arms are a dime a dozen. It's one of the real issues I've had with the White Sox and Rick Hahn when he has a a certain amount of resources, and and you have these self imposed budgets. And Jerry Reinstorf is the owner that he is. Why are you wasting so many resources on your bullpen? And it seems to be a thing over the last couple of years that he's really thrown so much bad money into. You know, I mean, like Liam Hendricks, good signing. Uh, picking up Jake Diekman in that in that move last year, you're going to eat a lot of money over the next couple of years for a guy who. Uh, and also, you're going to eat a lot of home runs if he's on your team. Right. So. Exactly. I mean, you have you have some contracts handed out in that bullpen. They make you shrug and say, well, look, if you couldn't afford like a second baseman, then why can you afford this extra bullpen arm? So I'm fine with the fact they're doing, they kind of have to do it this way too, right? I mean, don't they have guys now in this bullpen that you're paying a bunch of money to and you're kind of stuck with because you couldn't, you couldn't shine up the turd to get it moved, right? Like beginning of the offseason, right. we heard, oh, we're going to make some moves to kind of reshape this team a little bit. And and I think that was like code for, we know we got a couple of guys here we're paying money to that probably aren't worth that money. So we're going to convince somebody that they would do better with them. And every other team looked at the White Sox and said, what, you think we don't have scouts of our own? 
So you're out there and you're grabbing a couple of guys off the scrap heap and you're looking for guys that are being DFA'd. You know, there are so many bullpen arms that could be effective for a year or two if they get the right coach, get used the right way, and you hit them right in the sweet spot of their career. Because most bullpen arms are a dime a dozen. That's exactly what most bullpen guys are, is, is just you catch them at the right time, right? You catch Cliff Polite at his best. You catch Neil Kotz at his best. And then neither of them are in the Hall of Fame in spite of what they did in 2005, right? So it, it, it's it, that's just one of those moves that's like an under-the-radar, doesn't-really-matter move because it was a move that was made. Probably the most interesting thing that happened was Jason Billis is the guy that gets bumped off the 40-man in the trade, and he's a guy that was just identified on the show as being a guy that maybe competes in spring training for uh, the rotation spot that Mike Clevenger should not be put into for right now. Yeah, well, if you remember remember that conversation with James Fox in the last episode, and if you missed it, it's on demand just like every other episode. Anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SoxInTheBasement.com. Uh, that is one of the guys he identified. He also talked about Sean Burke, who now I'm seeing all these stories like as I'm catching up again today. What did I miss over yeah. the weekend? That's a guy that you're starting to hear over this weekend. Yeah, he's competing for a spot possibly on the team. And, and Fox was saying that on this show, and I think that was the first time that I had heard somebody say it out loud, and then it kind of became a thing over the last couple of days. So, you know, he had one guy that got uh, uh, DFA'd and uh, taken off the 40-man, and then he had another guy that, uh, boom, nailed it, right? That, that, and that guy's right in the mix for this offseason. Yeah, and, and in the meantime, you know, like you said, you're looking at offseason grades because that's where we are, right? Pitchers and catchers are going to report soon enough. The offseason is basically done. There's really no more moves to be made. I mean, you could still have a trade here and there, right? Like a Franklin German trade. That's, I mean, that's what you're looking at. But the team is on the field, so to speak, as you're going into spring training at this point. So, you know, so you're seeing these offseason grades and there's nothing to give the White Sox except for a failing score because you have essentially one transaction that's going to make a difference. You you have the Andrew Benintendi signing. Everything else is just minor league deals and like picking Nick Avila up in the in the Rule Five draft. Right. I mean, well, you got you get minor league deals in the Clevenger mess, and then you have Andrew Benintendi. I'm not counting the Clevenger mess at this point because it's it's just a negative on the team. But but here's the thing: the, the Benintendi thing, the the Sox will trumpet. Those that speak for the Sox will trumpet. Those that profit off the Sox will trumpet. Those that are affiliated with the Sox. Anybody that like is intertwined with the White Sox, uh, that you know their own media company, all that stuff. All of them, they're going to focus on largest contract ever handed out, five years, seventy-five million dollars for an Andrew Benintendi. It was a good move. It's also the kind of move that a professional sports team of the White Sox caliber should be doing on a yearly basis. Five years, seventy-five million dollar deals shouldn't be something earth shattering. And it's the only move. That's the thing. You had a team last year that failed to live up to expectations. And your added Benintendi, you lost Jose Abreu, you lost Johnny Cueto. I don't even know if they're a better team. Unless, of course, you are of the belief that everything about last year was Tony La Russa and injuries. And guys are going to come back and all reach their potential. And then get yourself super excited because you're a playoff team. But, I mean, that's that's what the offseason is. And even if that works, it doesn't mean it was a good offseason. It's a bad offseason. It's another thing on the list of bad out of this front office with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. It, it, you went into an offseason stating what you were going to do. You're going to reshape some things. You know, you're going to you're going to make some trades. You're going to move some guys around and you're going to address the 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 needs that your team has. And you addressed one need, which was uh, getting a legitimate outfielder who can bat likely in the two hole 
and and add some speed. Like the the Benintendi moves a great move, and it gives you the opportunity to not have to play Aloy Jimenez out in the outfield most days. But there are so many other things that the team needed, and what they basically said was, "Well, we're pretty maxed out here with the money, and Jerry's not spending anymore." And by the way, uh, we saw you season ticket holders uh, stop renewing your plans because I see everybody talking about it like on social media. Like, I'm not, I'm not going back. I canceled my plan, right? Okay, so we're going to add like this weird seating tier, pay tier system that is just ridiculous to look at. It makes your head hurts with, uh, with all the different, like it, you could be in a section and you could be in row nine and you're paying more money than the guy in row 10 all over the ballpark. Because they're trying to do whatever they can to maintain the income that's coming into the team. So your team didn't do, do anything this offseason. So you have every right to be disappointed in that, right? You can believe the White Sox can have a good year and be disappointed in the offseason. I think that's the point that I want to make here. I think that you could be disappointed in the offseason and still have positive hopes for the season. That's kind of where I sit. Well, that's that's all you can do at this point, right? Is be excited about a team that is still loaded with a bunch of talent that we were looking forward to having on this team and making a run, right? You still have Dylan Cease. You still have Lucas Giolito. You still have uh, Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez. Now you've got Oscar Colas in all likelihood. You've got all that, and, and, and you, you've done well in that regard to have the core of the team. And then you've added Andrew Benintendi on a major league market value contract, which is embarrassingly the highest contract in team history. But the problem is that, like you said, if you look at it on the whole, you've subtracted Jose Abreu, Johnny Cueto, and unfortunately had Liam Hendricks ex- you know, subtracted for you by, by cancer and, and by his circumstances. So now you've got three major players on last year's team that are gone, and all you've really done is replace one guy, and all it really did was shuffle Aloy Jimenez into the DH role as opposed to having him be the everyday left fielder. So... Yeah, disappointing offseason to be sure. Can they still go out and compete and win? The, can they still go out and compete and win? Yes, they absolutely can. And you can be excited and go to games and pay slightly more than the guy right behind you. And he can take it out <laughs> on you by accidentally spilling his beer when Andrew Vaughn hits his 40th home run of the year. And if you're uh, if you're a lawyer Menez and you play in the outfield a little bit too much, you may be in need of high at home medical equipment. I see what you did there. Or if you're older, uh, grandma and grandpa uh, getting up there, you don't want to put them into assisted living. Uh, they will set up the home, uh, make it safe, uh, place aids throughout the house, retrofit bathtubs, set up lifts within the the home to bring you from the first floor to the second floor. So many cool things. They could put uh, doors opening and closing on, on an app so that that could be done. It's really interesting, all the systems they have. And they're right here on the south side with a big, beautiful showroom. They got a great website as well at hhme.com. Uh, and they will take money off if you mention socks in the basement plus they will work with your insurance switch to a new age of life it's all about staying independent and in the home visit hyatt home medical equipment today in evergreen park at 3518 west 95th street okay see i think on days when the white socks like on a tuesday or wednesday you know you get that weird day game you get that game that nobody really wants to go to right where the park's pretty empty yeah what do you think it's going to be like looking at that outfield with the tiered pricing? Because in my mind, if you're going to a game like that, you're not buying the nicest ticket, are you? You're not, right? So you're going to be buying like that row 10 or row 15 where the price changes in the outfield now because it's not all one ticket. So then will the ushers be getting upset when people move up? 
that'll be a really interesting thing to watch because, you know, the, the, it used to be when I was younger, and I think a lot of people our age will remember this, is that you bought a ticket guy in the ballpark you were in, right? You could sit anywhere you wanted to. When you walked around the, the original Comiskey Park, the, the rule my dad would tell me is, wait till the third inning. Pick out a seat while we're sitting here in the outfield and wait till the third inning. And if nobody has sat in that seat by the third inning behind the dugout, we're moving over there because nobody's going to stop us. And we know we're not taking somebody's seat because they, did, they aren't showing up today. And we would go do that more often than not and have absolutely no problem. And they never stopped you. They never said, are you supposed to be in this section? That stuff comes later on. And the White Sox now will have people standing at the top of each section asking, are you supposed to be in this section? in at least most places in the ballpark. But when you split it up between half of the section and the other half, is there going to be like a really annoying usher sitting at the at row 10 to double-check me again in the way of the guy sitting in row 12 trying to look through him? Like, how is that going to work? So I think that's going to be really interesting. With Like, just me doing people watching and also kind of watching the game on those days that are not attended very well, it'll be interesting to see what the ballpark looks like. Will I see a bunch of people starting at, like, row 11 going on back? in the outfield and it'll be like empty up in front or will it be a free for all? And how will they control that? Because they've really gotten themselves when you look at this weird seating chart. And I know we've mentioned it before, but we really haven't gotten into it very much on this show. But like when you like, you would be motivated to buy in the back rows and then just work your way up because you're past the, the usher. Right. So, I mean like that's what I'm expecting it to be like at the ballpark this year. And that's exactly what it's going to be like. Right. Because how, how, how would you justify that? You're going on a Tuesday afternoon and you know it's going to be empty, and you do exactly what you said. Okay, so yeah, maybe right at the start, you sit there and you go, okay, I'm row, I'm row 16, and I'm going to look down though, and no one's sitting in row three, like it's just it's it's an empty row. So how am I not when I get up to go to you know not get a pretzel brat? How am I not going back down there and saying, screw it, I'm going to sit in row three? And yeah, if somebody comes along, it's like, hey, those are my seats. Oh, oh, Joe, shoot. Okay, well, fine. Then you get up and you move, right? Because that's what you do. But the, the the idea that they're going to have ushers standing down there checking pricing tiers as opposed to just sections is not only something that when you said that, I was sitting there going like, yeah, they are, but also something that you would sit there and go, well, that's just ridiculous. Why, why instead aren't those people you know, up in the club level doing the service that they used to do? Or why aren't those people? Well, they don't have enough. They didn't have enough people last year to do that. Well, that, that's what I mean, though. But if they have enough people to sit there and say, there's going to be two ushers basically down every aisle, one to make sure that you're in your section and the one to make sure that you're in your pricing tier, then you have enough people to do other functions in the stadium to improve your customer service. So I'm hoping that that's not the case, but I could see them doing it. Well, remember, they, they split the upper deck in a lot of ways where the first certain amount of rows in the upper deck are a different price than than even higher, right? I don't know. I haven't been up there in a while and that 500 level, but are they really walking back? Are they really walking up and down and checking if the person's in the right row? Like at some point, people just start moving down, right? Especially when you don't have a lot of people are there is what I'm assuming. But now you look out into the outfield and you have like these first 10 rows or whatever it is that are different from the rest of the thing. But it runs throughout the entire ballpark. It does that now down the third baseline and the first baseline and all that other stuff like that. And you sit there and you think to yourself, like, you're going to have a lot of people moving around. It's going to be more of a thing. Because, I, look, I'm not saying, like, I know that there are people that pay for really expensive tickets that are behind the dugout. And they're like, 
This is my seat. You shouldn't be moving out into my seat. I, okay, fine. That's how you feel. You you spend a lot of money and you're you're there all the time. And most people that are back there are like 162 game full season, like season ticket holders, right? But the but the thing is, you're going to see this now throughout the entire state. I don't I mean they had a hard time staffing the place last year. They have a hard time getting people inside the ballpark, maintaining that, and constantly walking around and seat checking people is going to be a really difficult task to do. Just so that you can you could charge a little bit more money for the first few rows in every section, basically in the ballpark. So I mean, like I think it's going to be kind of a, a silly thing to watch this year. Like it's well, not. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be observable as much when I'm watching on TV. Although it would be funny to watch like the first ten rows be empty in a game and then they're all like filled in the back, like on one of those Wednesday games, right? But like, but I think it'll be more interesting people watching. As I go to the ballpark and watch the dance of especially about like the first through fourth innings or first through third innings where you're seeing people going, this is my seat. Oh, okay. And they're all moving one row back or moving one row forward. And you're going to see more and more of that in the stadium because of all these crazy ticket tiering sections. Well, but and the other thing, too, is remember in the upper deck, when you walk out onto the upper deck, you either can go down to those slightly more expensive seats or you have to go up. And that's where they're stationed. You, you, you have one way you can go. When you're coming from the concourse and going down towards the field, you're there's no it's not like you're popping up in the middle of uh, in the middle of the section the way you are in the 500 level. So if they are doing that, that's my point. Is if they are spending the time doing that to to seat check you, I'm not saying logistically it's not difficult. I'm saying if that's where they expend their resources, I'm going to be extremely disappointed. So my hope is is that it's one of those things where you're going to have people buy and spend more money on the on the seats up front and then they're going to be self-policing and saying they're saying no I paid for these get your get your section you know your your row 16 back to coach there you know get back I'm up there here in first row class. 16 you peasant yeah you, you, you <laughs> little rotten oh underlings but it, like here's the thing I'm never sitting in the first rows like I, every time I go to a game I'll be like all right well I'm, where does it start where it's a little bit cheaper cuz it's the same seat like that's what's crazy about it well, that's I the mean thing. there are times there are times where I'm in that ballpark and I'm amazed by what people spend for seats. And like, you'll never get me going, oh, well, I really need to be in row eight. No, I'll be always like, oh, put me in, put me in row 11 in the outfield. It's the same damn view. Like, why would I give extra money for that? So I don't know. I mean, like to me, again, it's another one of those things where you sit there and you go, do they really think out things before they do them? Nope. And then if they really did, and it'll be one of those things they'll react to. Like they, they didn't think it out, right? Like my assumption after being a fan of this team for as many decades as I've been a fan of this team and watching a Jerry Reinsdorf organization run is that they have an idea of what how it's going to work. And then when it doesn't work the way they want it to, they'll overreact and start policing the whole thing. They won't have the personnel to be able to do it. And it'll be just a mess. Like, I mean, it'll just be one more thing that you roll your eyes and you go, why are we this, like the ticky tackiest operation of baseball? It, again, I just can't wait to watch it in action. Oh, it'll be wonderful. Yeah, I, I want to see the team. I want to be into the team. But when they're getting blown out or they're blowing somebody out, I'll be sitting around drinking a beer going, watch this. This is great. Look at this. She's been down there four times. They have those guys move one row. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. you'll be laughing about it throughout the game. The next time I actually have a drink, I'm going to Hailstorm Brewing Company in Tinley Park, 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. A working brewery, you can watch them churn out the beers, big giant beer hall, great tap room, incredible food, live music on the weekends, trivia nights, and other fun events. Check out their brand new American Stout, Why Don't You Go Stout About It, 7.5%, little bit of bite to it. 
hearty. That's what I would describe it as. Follow their Facebook page at Hailstorm Brewing Co. to see all of their events and see everything they have to offer at hailstormbrewing.com. Again, here we are. I think this is the funny part, right? We're talking about a team that should be going for the AL Central, and you and I are spending our time talking about how they're going to potentially police where you sit versus where you've purchased your tickets and people are gnashing their teeth over Jason Benetti and, and, and his contract negotiations. And, and this is the news that comes out while you're out drinking. You should have just stayed on the bourbon trail, man. Well, here's the thing. First of all, it's an old story about the ticket thing. We never really got into it, but to be honest with you, I already know what the team is. We said what the team is. The team is what the team is. That their hope is that the team is healthier and that the and that the the manager isn't screwing it up like the manager was last year because he was a massive influence, a negative influence on the team. Tony LaRusso was a negative influence on the outcome of games. Plus, you were dealing with guys that were in down years and guys that were dealing with injuries. So they're hoping that that just fixes everything, right? And they're stuck with their self self imposed uh, um, uh, budget. And they, they've got certain contracts that they're kind of stuck with because they can't get anybody else to take those contracts. They went out and they made two signings. One of them was really good. And the other one, maybe you should have done a little bit more research on the guy because now you're dealing with that whole mess. So the team is the team. All you could do now is see whether or not they get lucky and everything works out the way it's supposed to for them or if it doesn't. And I, I, I feel positive about the team overall and I'm willing to give them a shot and watch them. But that's why we're, we're talking about the silly things now. Because that's that's all we really have. If they would have gone out and made a bunch of signings and we were sitting there going, oh, what do you, how do you think this guy's going to fit here? And what do you think they're going to do with the order here? But I mean, I know Andrew Benintendi is coming in. He's playing left field. He's probably batting second. All right, cool. Yep, that's it. That's, all, that's, what, that's what I have. Lennon Sosa and Romy Gonzalez are going to cover second base and they're going to bat ninth. Oscar Colas is going to get right field and uh, he's going to strike out a lot more than you want to. But if he is uh, just acceptable out there in right field, then, then you're going to be you're going to be fine yeah, with fine. him batting in like the seven or eight hole on we're, your we're team. We're going to watch a lot gonna, of Davis Martin and, and uh, Sean Burke in, in the spring training games and see hey, which one of them wins that. See which one spot. they are. Yeah. Exactly. And so then what you do is you get stuck looking at all the other little stories, like the, the Benetti thing. Like, I, I saved this towards the end because what the heck? People are all upset about the fact that, what, Jason Benetti had to go negotiate his own contract and he couldn't use an agent? Okay, and I, I'm going to sound like a jerk saying this, but I don't care. I, I, every every place I ever worked in, in media, I had to go negotiate my own thing. I know that here in this major market, we're all just convinced that everybody's got agents. They, they really don't. Look, if you're a broadcaster... From the moment you start talking on a microphone, and Jason Benetti would admit that, he's been on this show before we've talked about what it's like coming up, okay? When you're when you're doing anything, radio broadcasting, doing play-by-play, anything of the sort, the entire time from the moment you start, they're doing something called air-checking you, where somebody who's normally your boss, like a program director, or somebody else who's like, you know, actually has some sort of influence over you and where you're going in that company or in, or in your career, is listening and they're very critical of everything you're doing. They're like, why'd you say that? You say um too many times. You're not painting the right picture. Like you you, you sit down almost on a daily basis and get criticized and have to re-listen to everything you do because that's how you get better. If you're not doing that, you don't learn how to get better. So I, I mean, I read the article about, I think the Sun-Times had it, and, and I, I can't remember. Again, I was, I was in, a, in a fog of bourbon over the weekend. But wherever I read the whole thing at, it seemed like the one bone of contention that I got from everybody that I could tell was that, well, you know, he has to go in there and defend himself like an arbitration player. Okay. But, you know, I'd I, I would be in, I'd be in a town where I was hired to come in 
and get them into number one or a top three ranking here or whatever like that, I would accomplish it. And when it came time for me to sit down and talk my contract again, they didn't let me bring in any agents. And I would sit down and they would tell me all the things they think I do badly. And I would go, okay, fine, but I do all these other things very well. And this is what I cost. And if they, if I didn't like it, I went and I worked someplace else. He's working everywhere right now, right? Like I'm very critical of the White Sox. But if the only argument was, we want to make sure you're at enough of our games that matter because you're the voice of the White Sox, I think they should be allowed to say that. Right? Like, I'm, we're not privy to what happened inside of the negotiations, but this is like the most non-story story that's floating around right now. Because like like we said, there's nothing going on and the team didn't do very much in the offseason. How many times can you grade them and give them an F or a D minus on their offseason? Well, that's a good question. And the answer is pretty much once on the grades. And then, you know, with the Jason thing, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, the White Sox, the White Sox and Jason Benetti are, are very, very free to sit there and go and say that we have different ideas as to what we expect. And Steve Stone has a different idea as to what he wants versus what the White Sox are willing to give. And if they want to be here and the Sox want them here, they're going to come to a compromise. And that's how the world works, man. It's it's it just is what that's it is. Life. But like here's the thing. I, I'm a fan of his. I'm gonna be honest am, with you. I, I enjoy too. his games. But but I remember when he came on this show and we talked about how hard it is to kind of move into this and to be in this profession. And there's a lot of former athletes that like the kid that goes to school to be a broadcaster has to also compete with to find his way in. You know, when you're talking about Jason Benetti and you talk about Hawk Harrelson, Hawk Harrelson wasn't a broadcaster. He was a former player that had a personality and ended up in the broadcast booth. Ed Farmer was not as good of a broadcaster as John Rooney. I know it's sacrilege to say, because we all love Ed Farmer and he's a nice guy. But when he was the color guy and John Rooney was the play-by-play guy, John Rooney was a professional broadcaster. And we lost him after 2005 because he was talented enough to go anywhere he wanted to. You're essentially a free agent. He didn't like what the White Sox had to say. They're like, we'll just have Farmio do it. And anybody that listened to Rooney do it with Farmer as the, as the, as the color guy could tell the difference the next year because Farmer wasn't Rooney. And he never was. He got better at his craft, but he never was the professional broadcaster of Rooney. And when I look at a guy like Benetti, I feel great for him. Here's a guy to remember his first year with the White Sox was uh, him filling in whenever he could and Harrelson not getting out of the way. And he sat there and he worked his way through that. You know what? He's come up. Now he's got national exposure. He's ever he can go work anywhere he wants to. And there are a lot of other guys out there that probably could get an opportunity to go do what he does. They may be better. They may be worse. But this is how this is how media works. You know, I think in Chicago, we get a little spoiled because we see the same people all the time. Like, you know, some guy gets fired from a station and two weeks later, he's on at a different station in this town. Nationally, it's not the same way. So to me, like, I, again, I'm glad they're bringing him back. I was just surprised by all the indignation over it. I can criticize the White Sox about a lot of things. But if they decide they want to have a negotiation with a guy and they they think that he's worth A and he thinks he's worth B and they want to negotiate with him face to face instead of going through a proxy. That's how they do business. That's how they do business. So that's that's what I thought was kind of weird about it. Yeah, well, and again, I think it's just we're so trained at this point to just assume that whatever the White Sox are doing is is short-sighted lunacy that we're willing to take even when they do regular course of business type things that have nothing to do with being a lunatic or being short-sighted or incompetent, but it's just basically like, yes, we have to negotiate with our broadcasters because – they need a contract and we need to pay them an appropriate amount of money that we sit there and go, 
but the White Sox are morons. And then, yeah, so. Well, look, they, they are in a lot of ways. Again, the front office, I don't understand why they're in charge of anything. But but you know what? Here's the thing. you're They're running a company, and they're like, you're valuable because you're a really good broadcaster. But if we can't come to an agreement, we'll have somebody else call games. And we're not going to. How many fans are going to be like, well, I'm done with the White Sox? Not because of the terrible offseason moves, but because Benetti's not on anymore. I mean, is that realistic? Is that no, what we really believe I, I don't as think fans? That's realistic. I mean, it, it, no. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found, and always on socksinthebasement.com.